I want to tell you a story from, eh, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. Uh, I, it was an evening. I had been to some sort of meeting at Hope Ch Church in Voorhees and um, was driving home on uh, Evesham Road, stopped at the ShopRite on Evesham and Springdale, and went in, got a few things I needed, and came out to the car. And when I came out to the car, there was, there was a man there on the other side of my car, kind of surprised me for a, for a minute. Uh, and uh, he said, hey, can you help me out? I need a couple of bucks for the bus. And uh, I didn't know what to say. I had a couple of bucks in my pocket I could have given to him, but, but those situations are always kind of weird because, you know, do you want... So, you know, is, is there really a bus? And, and this was, it was a little weird because I don't think of buses on Evesham Road there in Voorhees, a, a suburban location and, you know, public transportation is not a big thing in that area as far as I knew. And so, you know, is he scamming me? Is he, you know, is he looking? And you're always, of course, thinking, you know, is it, is it for, you know, alcohol? Is it for drugs? Is it, you know, is there something nefarious going on here? I don't want to be taken advantage of in this situation, and yet maybe there really is a bus, and maybe he's just out of cash and needs cash for the bus, and, and I, maybe I should help him in this situation. What do I do? I, I didn't know. And it was all so fast, it, 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 and it surprised me. I didn't even have to, I didn't even see him approach, and so I was a little scared in the moment, and, and I, I, I just, I said, uh, no, I'm sorry, I need to get home, and I got in my car, and I drove away. On the drive home, I just kept thinking about it, and thinking about it, and, and I, I wasn't, I went, kind of flipped back and forth between regret and excuse, right? Um, maybe I should have helped him, but I don't know. There were so many factors there, and I, I, I didn't know what to do. And I kind of prayed in that moment that, you know, Lord, I don't know if I did the right thing. Only you know what that situation really was. But I want to be better next time. I, 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 want, I want you to talk to me next time. I want to listen to you. I want to I lean in to the love that you've given me and uh, be ready to show that love to other people when, when you want me to. Um, I told that story shortly after it happened. I was preaching again at Hope on another occasion when everyone went on vacation. And, uh, and I was amazed at the response I got afterward. People came up to me and said, yeah, that happened to me. I didn't know what to do. And, and lots of people have had that, that situation, and, and I believe you have too. Um, I've worked in Philadelphia and, and you know, walked through Philadelphia a lot, and there are blocks in Philadelphia. You, you can't go a block in Center City without somebody saying, hey, can you give me some money, give me some money. And so you kind of learn to shield yourself from that, to steal yourself from that, to say, no, no, sorry. There are charities that can help them. Surely they're just going to use it for something self-destructive, and you don't want to uh, support, support that. And so you learn to say no in this world. Is that... Is that where we want to be? And, and it seemed like a lot of people were asking that question along with me. And I imagine uh, you are too. We are in a series on generosity. 
And uh, in the last two weeks, Rick and Dave have, have talked about sort of the insides of generosity, the heart of generosity and the mind of generosity. How do we feel and how do we think about helping others? And today, I get the... Um, enviable task of talking about the action of generosity. How do you actually prepare yourself to do generous things, and how do we fit that all together? Dave told an amazing story last week. Um, I hope you were here to hear it. I'm not going to go through all of it, but um, the, uh, it was about uh, the Titanic, although he didn't tell us that until the end. He would talked about this other ship that was on the ocean uh, when the Titanic went down. And they got a distress signal. It was the Carpathia. And they got a distress signal, and it meant that they needed to, to change course entirely, to turn around and to head back at, at a, a speed that was really unsafe for that ship. But, uh, and they had to turn off all the other uh, energy to the ship, the heat particularly, in order to put that energy into the force of getting the ship back to the Titanic in time to save somebody. But the crew was all uh, agreed on this. The, the, uh, the passengers were all on board, so to speak, uh, about you know, helping out. They started you know, gathering blankets and coats, and of course they were shivering. It was the North Atlantic uh, in, in early April, and uh, it was surely cold there and freezing, and the heat was off, but they were uh, not only shivering, but eager to help and uh, making room in their cabins so that when the survivors came, they would have a place for them. Everyone was ready to help. They were leaning in to generosity, and, uh, and they got to where the ship had sunk, and they were able to save 700 people who had survived the icy waters, and about a third of, of the, the ship's people uh, were saved thanks to the amazing and practical generosity of the Carpathia. I was especially interested in that story because I had recently read about another ship that was in the area even closer than the Carpathia. This was a British vessel called the Californian. And uh, they didn't respond so well to this. There were problems on that ship anyway. The, the captain was kind of a tyrant. Uh, kind of, people didn't want to cross him, and there's been some, uh, some cases where you know, people had, had come to him with problems that they really could have solved themselves, and so they, they were kind of afraid to approach him. It was getting late. The captain had gone to bed, and so they ha- would have to, you know, they, they got a signal that might have been a distress signal, but they weren't quite sure. Uh, so their, their communications people were busy with other messages, and so they they weren't sure exactly how to interpret this message, but maybe it was a problem with the Titanic, uh, and uh, they weren't sure whether to alert the captain, Uh, they weren't sure what kind of power they had or who was responsible to let the captain know, and whether they could turn the ship around on on their own. No, not really. The captain needed to do that, and they didn't want to wake him up, and so they kind of passed the buck, and quibbled about what responsibility was there and what the signals uh, really meant and whether there was really a problem. And so they didn't do anything. Until the morning, the captain gets up and, and gets the report. The ship sank. It was too late. 
And uh, there was an inquiry there, and, and they got in some trouble later. But um, uh, we have these two images of the Carpathia and the Californian. And I guess my question for myself and for you now is, what ship are we going to be on? Are we going to be on the Carpathia where people are gathering extra blankets and creating extra room and going back full steam to try to help if they can? Or are we going to be in the middle of communication difficulties, in the middle of whose responsibility is it, is it in the middle of is there really a problem or not, and do we, we want to wake people up and let them know about a problem, or should we just let it be? People on the Californian were looking for excuses, looking for reasons not to act, when the people on the Carpathia were looking for reasons to, to act, to help, to get involved. We have those same choices. Dave started us out well last, uh, last week in one of my favorite chapters, Romans 12, and we're going to take a look at Romans 12 uh, further uh, today. I, I told Jeff Bills that I would be uh, focusing on Romans 12 this week, and uh, he said, well, you know, we do, we do that chapter a lot. And I said, well, yeah, it's one of the best chapters in the Bible, and uh, w- uh, let's keep doing it until people memorize it. And, uh, and actually, that made me think, that's not a bad idea. There are 21 verses in Romans 12, not a huge chapter. It's very practical, very straightforward, not a lot of difficult theological concepts. If you've got some extra time this summer, I'm serious about this. If you've got some extra time and want to do some kind of self-betterment project, why not try to memorize a chapter of the Bible? And this would be a good one. Romans chapter 12. It starts out with two amazing verses. So even if you just get the first two verses memorized, that's great. That, That will... That will be a wonderful thing for your mind and your soul uh, going forward. But maybe you can do the whole chapter. And if I can help you in any way, if you want to come to church and say, hey, Randy, listen to this, see if I've got it right, you know, something like that, I would be happy to do that for you. I memorized a lot of verses as a kid, uh, some chapters as a kid, and, and they have stayed with me, and it has, has benefited me all my life. It has been a rich source of all sorts of good stuff, and so I commend that to you. That's a total aside there. That's not what this message is about, but I offer it to you. Romans 12 is a great chapter. What Dave, uh, st- Dave started in those first two great verses, and so what they say is this. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, he says, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And we could spend several hours on that verse. I'm not going to, but but I want to point out something. Living sacrifice, that's an oxymoron. Contradiction in terms. Sacrifices died. In that world, they were used to this. They knew this, that there were altars in temples, both in Jerusalem and in in the, the pagan world, where there would be a temple dedicated to a god, and there would be an altar there, and they would bring an animal, maybe a lamb, that needed to be perfect and holy and without without blemish. They'd bring it to the altar and they'd kill it as a sacrifice for their sin. Sacrifices died. That was the whole point. Paul says, you are a living 
sacrifice. You come to the altar and lay yourself down in the altar, but you do not die. The death has been done for you. Jesus died for you. Reminds me of a verse that Paul used elsewhere in Galatians where he says, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. But it's not just me. It's Christ living in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus has gone to that altar and died for us so that we may be living sacrifices. But the life we live now is not for us, it's for him. We have received that from God. And so we give from what we have received. It is only right that our lives are offered to others and to God in this spiritual act of worship, which is the generosity, the showing of, of love that the rest of this chapter tells us about. Verse 2 talks about the transformation of our minds and hearts uh, that, that God does. Uh, we stop listening to the world's way of operating but we have a whole new operating system uh, as God transforms us. But then beginning in verse 3 of chapter 12, Paul gets very practical. This is the point where he turns from deep theology and moves into practicality. How are we going to do this? How are we going to show generosity? How are we going to share God's love in the world? How are we going to be living sacrifices? I am in, I'm going to call six minor points from this chapter, and um, we'll get, go through them quickly. You'll get out of here by about 10 tonight, and uh, I'm sure that'll be fine. Um, but uh, these are very practical ways that we can demonstrate, that we can act out our generosity. And it starts with this attitude of humility. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Uh, in Greek, the word for think appears four times in this one verse. It is literally, uh, let's go back to that, that text there. Um, uh, it is literally, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And, and in fact, that word, that highly think, is actually a, a compound word. It's, it's hyperthink. So do not think of yourself in a hyperthinking way. Instead, think of yourself in a, in a sober thinking way. And so there are a couple of compound words in there, but think is there four times. So... Think about who you are. Think about what God has given you. And think about how you, what you are doing with what, what God has given you. It only makes sense that you give to others, not because you're so great, but because God is so great. This is often an issue in generosity, right? When we give something, we want people to, to know it. We want people to know how much we've given for that. We want them to appreciate the, the depth and magnitude of our gift. You give a million dollars to a charity, you want them to name something after you, right? I want the Randy Peterson wing of higher learning at 
Camden County College or something, <laughs> which might be an oxymoron itself. But, um, uh, but seriously, we want recognition when we give. That's only natural, but it's not the Christian way. We do not give in order to get praise for ourselves. We give because we have received from God. Pause as you think about that. Let's move on to the second point, and it, uh, it begins in uh, verse, uh, it's really 4 to 8. Um, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. And it continues, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Um, and, and let's uh, stay on this slide for a while. Um, this, uh, Paul, this is one of several places in the New Testament where we are taught about gifts, about spiritual gifts. And the message is always, always the same. And, and here it is given to us the most simply, the most baldly. Um, you have a gift. If your gift is teaching, what are you supposed to do with that? Teach! If it's encouragement, what are you supposed to do with that? Encourage what you have been given to do. Do it. In a few cases, he, he embellishes it a little bit. I, I'm the, if, if your gift is giving, then give. And the word is translated here generously. Uh, in other translations, it's, it's uh, give simply. The word's fascinating because it's actually the word for rich with a, with a no in front of it. So don't give like a rich person. <laughs> don't give ostentatiously. Don't you know, blow the trumpets and say, look at what I've given to you. If you give, if that's your gift, just give simply, quietly, generously from your heart. Don't make a big deal of it. And so on. If, if you're showing mercy, do it cheerfully. But throughout this, we're given various things that people are specially gifted to do. And the gifts are different in the church. Not everyone has the same gift. That we're taught again and again, and you've heard that before. But here, the simple thing is, as we show generosity to others, do so with your gift. Find the way you are gifted and use that gift to express the love of God. Not just to do the work of the church. Not, it's to share generously the love of God, whatever that gift happens to be. I'm going to tell you another story about myself, and I, and I always uh, hesitate on this because I don't want this to be about me, but maybe um, you can find a parallel here. Um, I'm on, uh, I, for the last couple of years, I've been on the lead team of the church. Some of you are or have been uh, on that, on the church board, uh, essentially. And there are a couple of sub-teams on the board uh, that have certain specialties there. There's a finance team. And I'll tell you, I am in awe of the people on, our, on the finance sub-team sub of the lead team. Because they can take a look at a balance sheet and immediately see three areas where there might be issues and we, we need to talk about those. I can't do that. 
I'm dumb when it comes to money. I just don't have those money gifts. And several of the people in the lead team are really good with that. And uh, so I'm glad they're on the team. But when it came time to dividing up to the different sub-teams, I said, do not put me on the finance team. That would be a huge mistake for everyone involved. It would make me miserable, and it would drive the church into bankruptcy. So do not do that. And there's another team, uh, the trustees, that take care of the property of the church, the, the, the main building there at 700 Cooper, the meeting place there at 500 Cooper, the parsonage where the pastor, uh, pastor Jeff lives. Um, and um, and there, the, 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 when people in the, in the meetings bring up issues with those, they're really smart about buildings and, and how, to, how to fix buildings when they break or how to prepare for the future and that sort of thing. I have never owned a home, and I am the least handy person that you would ever know. So if something goes wrong, I, I don't know what, I don't even know who to call to fix it. I just, I just assume it'll fix itself and, and live with it. So you don't want to see my apartment. Um, so I, I'm not the person to be a trustee. I don't have those skills. And so when it came time to choose up sides here, I don't make me a trustee. There's another team that it wasn't right for me to, to, to join. And so I said, I, I finally said, look, why don't you make me a special ops guy? Okay, S- something will come up and you'll need what I can do. And I'll be ready, and I'll jump in, and I'll do it. I'll a special op. And uh, it sounded kind of cool at the time. Uh, and I know some of the other people thought it was just my way of getting out of doing anything real. And, uh, and they may have been right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they went along with it. So I'm the special ops guy of the lead team. Wouldn't you know it, within that next year, something came up, and we needed a Bible study developed and taught. That's what I do. I can do that. And so I said, yeah, let me jump in and do that. And, and, and they were all glad, because they don't know how to do that. And so, sure, Randy, you can do that. And shortly after that, we needed something written. I can do that. I'm a writer. Let me write that. That's a special op. I can do that. And, and so I found my... So, so it's like I, I, I thought I was a failure by not being able to be pressed into the existing places. But as it turned out, by, by looking for a way that I could genuinely use my gifts... I found ways that I could genuinely use my gifts, even if they didn't fit into the existing structures. See what I'm saying there? And maybe that works for you. Now, maybe there are things that, that maybe you do fit into those existing things. And I'm not just, I'm I'm talking about the broader scope of the church now. That uh, as the church does ministry in the community, as we put together a worship service here, as we interact with one another, there are all sorts of gifts that come into play. And so maybe you have a gift that fits right into one of the ministries that, that this church is developing or, or has developed. Great. Get involved with that. Show your generosity in that way with that gift. But maybe you don't. Maybe you've got something else and you don't know how to use it. Well, then let's find a way. Let's create something. Let's look for some kind of special op where you can benefit 
God and the church and the community using the thing that you do so that you can share your generosity in that way. Look for that. And, and feel free to talk with me about that, talk with Rick about that, uh, it, because we'd love to find ways that you can serve and show that generosity in your gifted way. We're going to move on. The next um, uh, Romans 12 uh, thing, uh, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's a lot we could unpack here. I'm sticking with the first sentence here. Love must be sincere. The word for sincere in the Greek is non-hypocritical. Literally, it, I mean, hypocrite is a Greek word. And so in Greek, it's, it's actually ah-hypocritical. Do not be hypocritical about it. Now, what was a hypocrite in that day? We think we know what hypocrite means. It had a very special meaning in that day, and it was a stage actor. It was somebody who wore a mask on stage and did grand actions for show. But it wasn't real. I read a really good translation of this saying, love must be unstaged. Don't do generosity for show. I think this is, imp I mean, it's important all the time that we are showing generosity because there is generosity in our hearts. This is why we do this three-part series and talk about the heart and the mind before we talk about the actions because that's where it comes from. It's not just doing the generous things. It is letting the generous things come from who we are and who God has made us to be. But, um, but I think it's also important for us as a church, as we are generous in the community, to pay attention to this because I think it's easy for us to slip a little bit. So let, let me give you an example of how it might slip a little bit. We go to a festival in Mount Laurel, and we give out bottles of water to people there. And we're very kind and very nice and very generous, and people like us. And so we're doing this so that people will like us, so that they'll come to our church. And so we'll grow the church, and so we'll become a mega church, and, and everyone will say how great Hope Church is. That's stage acting. That's hip hypocrisy. That's not letting gener generosity flow from who we are inside. That's doing something to present an image that has an ulterior motive to it. That's not true generosity. Don't be like that. I'm interested in, uh, uh, this is a, a little aside, but some of you will find this really fascinating. I, I've long been interested in the parallel between Paul's writings, especially in the book of, writing, uh, book of Romans, and the teachings of Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And there are, there are many parallels between the Sermon on the Mount and the Book of Romans. And especially here, especially in this chapter, and um, I, I started linking this to the Beatitudes. You know, so the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. And one after another, we find most of those beatitudes find some kind of expression in Romans 12. We already talked about kind of the poor in spirit and the meek, the attitude of humility that we should have. Here, this is pure in heart. 
Don't be a hypocrite. Be pure in heart. And a lot of people, when they hear, see the pure in heart, they think pure in mind. They think, they think that we should not have lustful thoughts, for instance. That's not really what pure in heart is. Heart is the place of motivation. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed are you when you don't have mixed motives about following God, like the Pharisees did. You know, they were full of pride. They had mixed motives. They wanted people to see them and glorify them. But when you follow God with a pure heart, you just want that relationship with God. That's pure. And so it is here that as we show generosity in our lives, we come from a place of pure motives. Not to gain praise for ourselves, not to gain notoriety, not to get anything else done except to share the love of God. That's the pure motive here. We're going to move on. Uh, the next uh, passage there, a verse later, uh, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And I'm zooming in on the last phrase there, practice hospitality. Generosity comes out in the form of hospitality. And I've seen hospitality at work in Hope Church in so many ways over the last 30 years. It's been a wonderful thing to see. Um, and there are two ways that I see hospitality. One is what you, what you think of. People opening their homes. So, Boyles, thank you for the opening your home for the picnic next week. What a great thing and, and, and uh, an example of generosity. I know several others of you have, have done that, and, uh, uh, and that's a great thing. Hope needs that. We always have. In the first nine years of the church, we were, we're, we were meeting in schools on Sundays, and then if we wanted a meeting any other time of the week, we'd have to find a place for it, and it was usually someone's home. And the history of hope is the history of people opening their homes to meetings of, of, uh, of teams, meetings of Bible studies, meetings of prayer meetings, uh, people opening their homes and letting the work of the church happen in their homes. I remember in the early years, uh, I was involved in a drama group. And Tom and ba Pam Bernhardt, bless their hearts, Joe, you were involved in that, uh, would open their homes every two weeks for us to come and do all sorts of crazy stuff there. And it was a wonderfully supportive thing, a way for them to show generosity to build an important team of the church. Uh, we had a singles group. Joe, you were involved in that too, and still, you still are. And we still have this group where once a month people open their homes to a Bible study. We need lots of that. And especially if you live in Mount Laurel or, or in this area, think about ways that you might open your home and invite people over just for a get-together, for prayer, for a Bible study, for a team meeting sometimes. Talk to Rick about scheduling something like that. Uh, we need people to open their homes and to practice hospitality in that way. But there's another way that we can show hospitality if you don't have a home that you can, that you can open. I, I have a small apartment. I could have a meeting there, but one at a time. And... Um, <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. So you stay out in the backyard. We'll come out and get you when it's time. Um, we can all make people feel at home here in this room or wherever we are at a picnic, at a festival. Make people feel at home. You're part of the family. You're here now. Welcome. And so that... so. 
just, there are a million ways to do that, and you know them more than I do. I just am, I want to empower you to make people feel at home. Um, but I want to say a couple of things. One is I automatically grant absolution to you if you turn to someone after a service and say, Hi, I'm Randy Peterson. I, uh, are you new to Hope? Is this your first time here? And if they say, well, actually, I've been coming for the last year. And actually, you've met me five times before, and you keep forgetting my name. That's okay. I am telling you now, I forgive you for that. I pronounce official absolution on you for that. Don't worry about that. That will happen. It is better to greet someone and be embarrassed than not to greet somebody. Am I right? You get what I'm saying there? So make the mistake. Be willing to say that. And if someone says that to you, don't feel bad about it. Okay, we're all getting older and forgetting names and stuff. Okay, so, so, so let that happen. But be willing, because that's what makes people feel at home. People making mistakes with each other. Okay, we can forgive each other those mistakes and get on to the business of forging relationships. Let's make that happen. And the other thing I want to say is if you're fairly new here, if you're past your third visit here, you're family. Okay, You're, you now have the responsibility to make other people feel at home. Okay, So don't wait for people to greet you. You go up to people, shake their hands, introduce yourself, and make them feel at home because you're part of the family now too. Uh, that's hospitality. The, the, last two th the next thing is forgiveness, and I'm not going to dwell on this because it is a huge subject. It will take a whole lot of time to deal with. I will su simply say that sometimes grudges can short-circuit our generosity. So I really want to show the love of God except to you because you know what you did. <laughs> so get past that, that's like a whole other sermon series, and I'm not, not going to do that. But the last thing I want to talk about is on the, the next slide here. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I think in our culture today, there is a, um, an epidemic of loneliness. I think people are lonely. And there are good things that happen to them, and they're rejoicing, but who do you rejoice with? And there are bad things that happen, and they are mourning. Who do you mourn with? And yeah, maybe there are some people. And I think, I think social media is really interesting in this because it's a tease. It's you put something out on social media, and you get a few comments, and you get a thumbs up. You get a monkey face or something. And, and you, know, you think that people are connecting with you, but they're really not. Or it only goes so far. Some, some of you are very good with social media, and so I, I, if you, it, you, you may, it may not be you that I'm talking about here. But in general, I think there's a, there's a shallowness of that interaction. And we can show the generosity of God by actually reaching out emotionally, an emotional generosity to really connect with people in their highs and lows in life. And that may mean going beyond the Facebook response. It may be sending a direct message on Facebook or an email or a phone call or a visit and connect with them and really rejoice with them, really mourn with them, connect emotionally with them and uh, share the love of God in just sharing their emotions.
When I uh, started, when I was first assigned this message to do today about generosity in action, I assumed it was going to be about money. And you know how I feel about money. Um, uh, so I didn't want to do it. Um, what I love about this church is that when we talk about something like generosity, it's not just a code word to, for give more money to the church. It's, um, it's something we dig into the heart of it and say, you know, we could have, you know, the coffers full and overflowing, but if people's hearts aren't generous, then we're missing the point. Then, then that's, that's a loss for us. So we want to teach people and encourage people to open their hearts, to open their minds to this idea that we have received freely from God's grace, and so we share that with others. And there are so many ways that we need to be generous in this world. One of them is to donate money to good causes like Hope Church. And so, sure, give more money to the church. <laughs> um, or other charities, or whatever. Give as God directs you to give with the kind of generosity that he puts in your heart. But that's not what the point of this is today. The point is leaning in to generosity, finding opportunities rather than excuses. I have one more story to tell, and then we'll be done. A, couple, a, a month ago, I, um, I was uh, getting... I was Sunday morning, coming to church, and uh, I, it, it takes me exactly 20 minutes to get here, and so it was 10.10, and I was getting in my car, and I saw the gas gauge empty, and oh no, I'm going to have to fill up with gas in order to get to church, and so, and the, ga the nearest gas station is like the wrong direction, so I knew it would be five or ten minutes tacked on. I would be very late, and um, uh, so getting the gas tank filled, kind of feeling bad about being late to church and uh, uh, there was uh, so there was a, a guy filling the tank and then there was another guy there talking with him and they were talking in a language that I did not understand um, it wasn't Spanish it was I think it was a, an Asian language perhaps but I do not know what what that language was uh, and uh, but then the other guy not the the gas attendant there leaned into my window and said and said blah 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 wah wah and I I wah uh, wah there's a wah wah right over there and uh, no 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 Walmart and oh Walmart okay well yeah the Walmart's just down the road and and uh, there and uh, no no and somehow he was not getting across to me and I I I was late to church and and so finally you know they finish up there I I'm uh, you know the guy was disappointed he he was standing over there somewhere uh, and uh, and it suddenly dawned on me as I'm ready to pull out, I'm, I'm thinking, he wanted me to drive him to Walmart. That's what that was. And so I, I pulled over to where he was standing, and I said, do you want a ride to Walmart? And he said, yes, yes. Hop in. And I started driving him there, and, and I, um, I missed the key part of the story. Okay, so <laughs> the key part of the story is my mind, what's happening in my mind in that moment as I'm saying, I'm late to church, so I have to say no to this guy because I need to get to church. And I suddenly thought of the story of the Good Samaritan. 
right? Where there are two people that pass by this needy guy on the road because they're late to church. That was the wrong thing to do. There was the third guy who crossed over cultural boundaries to do something that was, was a, a bit of a stretch, a big stretch for him, a little stretch for me. And so I said, hop in, I'll take you there. And I tried, I said, you know, I, I, I didn't understand you at first. Um, I, was, I was headed to church, but, you know, I think God wants me to take you to Walmart. He really didn't understand anything I was saying. <laughs> so... I got him to Walmart and came here to church, and I was, you know, at least a half hour late, and, you know, slipped in the back and hoped nobody noticed, but that's not a yay Randy thing. That's, that is a step on a pathway of learning how to lean into generosity, and you have situations like that all the time. And so maybe 15 years ago in that moment, I would have leaned back and said, no, no, I can't do that, and i got to do something else. But I'm trying to lean in. And I invite you to lean in to generosity as well. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Open our hearts. Pry them open. Give us the gumption we need to follow you in love showing, in generosity, in recognizing the needs in our community, in practicing wisdom, in meeting them, in using our gifts, and um, connecting with you as we do so. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.